Well, I sure am glad that Meryl was able to sing that instead of me this morning. Yeah, <laughs> that's more amens. I'll get in the message. Said exactly. Got that right. Boy, that was really good. Uh, take your Bibles and open them up, if you will, to Matthew chapter six, and uh, we'll pick up uh, this morning uh, with the uh, second in the series on the Lord's Prayer. And while you're doing that, I'll just give you a little bit of an update on a couple of things. Next Sunday, how many of you guys remember Rick and Linda Collins? Remember Rick and Linda? Okay, Rick will be here next Sunday, uh, filling the pulpit. Um, we're going to go home on spring break and see uh, and spend some time with my mom and my grandma. My grandma's 95, and so I'll be doing a lot of Eddie stuff around the house. When I go home, it's, it's Eddie. But uh, make sure you're here next week because you remember, Rick, uh, that guy has got it going on for Jesus when it comes to missions, especially in Cuba. Uh, long, long time uh, youth minister, just, just an awesome guy. I also want to draw your attention to a few things. Take a look at the back. I just want to bring you up to speed every now and then. This is a testament to the faithfulness of the members of Red Baptist Church as well as to the Lord over all that's been going on regarding the, our giving uh, for our church as well as the RCLC and to this uh, big thermostat to my right, if you would take a look, we're just $8,100 shy of meeting our goal of getting those bathrooms paid for in the fellowship hall. So go ahead and clap. This is a good time to clap because this is really, really good. I know there's not a lot of people here, so it only sounds like three people clapping in the room. But I'm telling you, if you look at this stuff, this is really exciting stuff. Even for me, and I feel like the walking dead, this is really exciting because things are going, but they're happening because of you. And they're happening because of what the Lord is willing to do if we'll just be obedient to him. If you get a chance, make sure that you find Sam. Sam's out here, there. Lots of good stuff going on in the daycare, especially in the rooms and the stuff that she's doing. The outreached uh, kiddos that they're getting now in Lillian and all kinds of new stuff, families joining the daycare. It's just a lot of stuff going on, and it's really, really good. So on that note, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you. And again, God, we want to thank you for all that you're doing. And Lord, we just want to pray and ask that today you would help to guard our minds as to what we take in so, God, we can focus clearly and only on you. Jesus, you gave us a model of how to pray. When your disciples asked you the question, well, how do we pray? And you said, when you pray, pray in this manner. So, God, I pray that today you would help all of us to catch the elements of the things that you said that are in this small passage because it teaches us how to pray. And I pray, Lord, that as this uh, week goes on, that you would continue to motivate all of us to spend more time doing just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter six um we're going to be reminded right off the bat all of us here today we all have needs they may come in the form of physical uh mental 
material, uh, emotional, or spiritual needs, but all of us in this room are very uh, needy individuals. Uh, turn to the person on your left and right and say, you are a needy person. I think that's the roughest, Nancy Cox, the roughest thing she's ever said to anyone in her whole life, just now. She had to acknowledge that Augie was a needy individual. Okay, we're all needy. Every single one of us, we're needy people. Now, we may not want to act like we are, but we are. You are. So am I. We're needy individuals. And today, Jesus, we're going to pick up where uh, we left off um, at the very beginning, what we've covered already, the disciples went to Jesus. The disciples told Jesus, they asked Jesus, well, Lord, we don't know how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And immediately, Jesus just went into, when you want to pray, pray in this manner. Our Father who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we looked at last week. Today, give us this day our daily bread. In his book, The Great House of God, Max Lucado took the Lord's Prayer. I kind of wish I would have known that before this series started. Um, because Max Lucado is just, he's incredible, but most of y'all already know that. He did a, wrote a book called The Great House of God, and it's on the Lord's Prayer. He literally likens every single thing that we read in the Lord's Prayer, and he attributes it, he applies it to one of the rooms in God's house. So when you look at God's house in heaven, it is made up of the things that Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's just really, really cool. Here's what he said. Um, he said, As you enter his house, you are reminded of the elements that are founded in the Lord's Prayer. He said, Your first step into the house of God is into the living room, where you are reminded that you were adopted. Our Father, who art in heaven, you then studied the foundation of the house where you pondered on his permanence. It says, our Father who is in heaven. In the chapel, you worshiped his holiness. Hallowed be thy name. And in the throne room, you touched the lower scepter and you prayed the greatest prayer when you said, thy kingdom come. And it's in the study that you submitted your desires to his own when you prayed, thy will be done. And all of heaven was silent as you placed your prayer in the furnace, saying, on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that good? That's just not fair to be that talented. Man, that is good stuff. Now, you can just let that roll around for a little bit. Um... He did go on and he did say that proper prayer will follow such a path, uh, revealing God to us 
before revealing our needs to God. Now, you might, not, you might want to think about that a little bit. It reveals God to us before we reveal our needs to Him. The purpose of prayer is not to change God, it's to change us. And by the time we reach God's kitchen, and that's where we're going to be at here in just a moment, we're going to find ourselves a very changed type of people. Wasn't your heart warmed when you called him Father? Weren't your feels uh, stilled when you contemplated his constancy? Weren't you amazed when you stared at the heavens? You see, seeing God's holiness causes us to confess our sin. Inviting his kingdom to come reminds us that we need to stop working on our own. Asking God for his will to be done placed our will in second place compared to his. And realizing that heaven pauses when we pray leaves us breathless in his presence. It is also interesting to note that there is only one brief mention in the Lord's Prayer that has to do with our physical and our material needs. And this is it right here. Just one small bit. It's right here. Give us this day our daily bread. This verse has every single thing to do with the necessities uh, that we want in our daily lives. Give us this day our daily bread. And the first point in your bulletin this morning, we're going to take a look at the Father's provision. The Father's provision. Jesus used bread uh, as an example of God's provision. He, he, he used, we read it all the time in the New Testament. Have you noticed, have you ever taken a time out to take a look at all the images of the way in which bread is used in the Bible, especially in the New Testament? It's kind of interesting. There's two different times when Jesus multiplied bread for thousands of people, crowds, that were following him. You read about that in Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 15 through 21, and in Matthew chapter 15, verses 32 through 39. Jesus referred to himself as the bread of life, as the bread of life. Bread was always viewed in the New Testament as holy. In the Jewish temple, bread was holy. And you will also find holy bread today at Spring Creek Barbecue. A little bit of butter. Holy. It's almost a spiritual experience. I'm, I'm starving right now and I'm sick. Even the name of the town that Jesus was born in literally means house of bread. House of bread. See, the picture when we look at bread, it reflects both a physical and a material need that every single one of us in this room and every single one of us that's not in this room, we all have. There's three things I want you to remember when you think about needs, okay? Number one, ask. Ask. I cannot tell you how many times someone's coming and they're like, hey, you, you got a moment, can we talk? You bet. 
And they're talking and they're explaining a problem that they're going through or something that's going on. And inevitably, I try to remember, I don't always get it, but I try to remember, inevitably, I'm going to ask, okay, have you been praying about this very specifically? And it's usually kind of tongue-in-cheek funny. A whole lot of the times I get that, well, to be honest with you, I've been trying to think of how to fix this for so long. No, I haven't really been praying about it. We're all guilty. We all do that. We see something going on and we think, well, I can fix this. And we get in, we try to fix it, and it, it just doesn't work out. We need to ask. No matter what it is, big or small, we need to ask. Uh, the Bible tells us in James chapter 4, verse 3, James asked the question and he said this. He said, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask with uh, um, you ask but do not receive because you ask with evil motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So he's talking to two different types of people here. First are, is that group that says, you don't have because you're not asking. Now the Lord's going to start doing it, but you got to start asking him. If you start asking him, then you're going to begin to see things happen, and that's going to elevate your faith, your walk, and that's going to make you into that stronger Christian that we all want to be. But you got to ask. You got to ask. And you're not alone in not asking because it was happening here in this church that James wrote his letter to. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. And then to that second group that was in that church, he says, oh, you ask, but you don't receive because you ask with improper motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So to that group who wants to get rich real fast and not working, but they want God to bless them, forget about it. It ain't going to happen. God's not going to bless those kinds of prayers. So when you think of your needs, you need to ask God. And if it's a very important need, then you're going to do what Jesus uh, spoke about in the parable of Luke chapter 18 verses 1 through 7 the widow and the unrighteous judge where he said where the bible tells us and he told them that they should pray at all times and not lose heart don't give up you don't give up but you need to ask second thing about our needs you need to keep in mind you need to remember god's resources god tells us not to worry about our needs if we will put him first in our lives. That's, you've heard me say this before. I'll say it again. It's, it's, it, it could be a life verse for everyone in this room. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 32 through 33, Jesus said, If you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be given unto you. Seeking first his kingdom is to be heavenly minded. Seeking his righteousness is to want to be like him. And if you can do those two things and keep them at the top of your list, all these things will be added unto you. Where you're going to live, uh, who you're going to marry, uh, what you're going to do, where you're going to work, children, everything, it's going to be added. But you've got to first be seeking him first. And then three, we need to remember to trust his timing. Trust God's timing. God will never let his people down. Yet he wants us to live by faith, trusting uh, that provisions will be given today 
on a daily basis. Give us this day our daily bread, the Father's provision. As we move on into the scripture, we read, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Here we're going to take a look at the Father's pardon. At the Father's pardon. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, Lucado said that this room, this part, this room um, in God's house is the most expensive room in the whole house. It's right here. Because it's not, it's not a room. It is the roof of the house. See, it was here that the life of God's Son had to be sacrificed for the forgiveness and for uh, us to have the right to go to that house, to be set free, to be forgiven, to have the penalty destroyed in our life that has to do with sin, and the roof covers the whole house. The life of Jesus Christ on Calvary covers everything. 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 There's nothing we can add to it that gets us to heaven. Nothing. Calvary covers it all. And right here, it is the most expensive part of the room. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Why is there such a huge emphasis placed on the forgiveness of wrongs? I think most of us already know the answer to that. But I'm going to say it anyway because it's really simple and it's something that every single one of us, me included, we need to remember all the time. Forgiveness heals the guilt of past wrongs and it allows us to have joy in the present. I'll say that again. Forgiveness heals the guilt of past wrongs and allows us to have joy in the present. And it may sound simple, but depending on the wrong that has been done to you, simplicity isn't always a simple thing, is it? It's not, but it is the solution. It's the solution. Just this morning as I was driving in, I was listening to a, uh, a pastor on a radio, he was talking about forgiveness. And he talked about, he says, think about this. He said, and I thought, boy, what a great, I'm going to use that. He says, what if Joseph in the Old Testament, what if he did not forgive his brothers? I think no one in this room could blame him for not forgiving his brothers. He was sold to a, a, a band of just really bad people. He was put into slavery. Um, he was removed from his family. He basically was ab ab abducted, is what had happened. He was thrown into prison. He was in this prison for over 15 years. He was used to disappointment. He was used to hardship. He was used to hunger, loneliness. Uh, the companionship he had were other real prisoners. Um, and then he turns out being able to uh, spiritually... Um, answer the dreams or interpret the dreams of the pharaoh and pharaoh was so impressed that he made him 
he made Joseph second in command of all of Egypt. You talk about rags to riches, that's Joseph. And be it as it is, when the famine came through, Joseph's brothers went to Egypt because they had heard that Egypt, for whatever strange reason, has an abundance of food. So as they go, Joseph sees them, and you know the rest of the story. It's a beautiful story. Uh, if you haven't, look at it. You'll find it in Genesis, and you'll love it. What would have happened when we read the encounter of Joseph running into his brothers? Joseph started thinking about all the wrong that was done to him. And he says, I'm not only not going to forgive them, they're dead. Because he had the authority like that to just take them out. What would have happened? Well, if he would have done that, then there would not have been the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel today would not have even existed. The Messiah, who was prophesied to come through the lineage of David, as we trace um, the promises going all the way back, would have not taken place because of one man living in a state of, of anger, of bitterness, of rage, of revenge, we would have seen a tremendous downfall, not just to his life personally, but it affected everything, all the way up, literally to now. I, I say this all the time to people in counseling when they are truly the victim of something really bad. And I always remind them, inevitably at some point when the time is right, I'm quick to remind them of this one truth that we all need to understand in this thing that we call forgiveness. Forgiveness does not forgive the act that was done to you. That person will still have to answer for whatever that was someday. Your forgiving them does not let them off the hook. You forgiving them let you off the hook because you now refuse you're going to cut that cord you refuse to be affected by the wrongs that were done to you you in essence you release that it's not like you're saying that's not important it's not like you're saying well that does that didn't hurt me because it did hurt you it is important but when we forgive it's for us as much as it is for them or anything else. And why does God want us to do that? Because if we don't, many, many things will begin to uh, rise up within your life. You'll be mad. You'll be bitter. You will stop trusting people. You will get a wrong attitude. You'll be hateful. Every single thing, every single thing will start to go downhill when you harbor a, a, an ill towards someone. It is so important that right here in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus doesn't say, now I want you to think about doing this. You know what he says? It says, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Jesus is going to assume you're going to do the right thing. Now, it, I'm not saying it's easy, because it's not. 
But it is the solution. It is the solution. And God's solution is that nothing can hinder you in your spiritual walk to Him. Satan is definitely going to come along and he's going to bring about the things that's going to hold you back, destroy your witness, or maybe even kill you by the way you act or react to the things that happen in, in your life. But God's solution is that you would be a person of forgiveness. You're going to choose to forgive. Uh, Jesus says, as we forgive our debtors, we have to make the choice to forgive. Now, it is at this point, I want to emphasize, too, uh, this right here, this is not a prayer that's intended for a sinner, but for a saint. That's you. That's you. you you're a saint. We don't use those terminologies, but the Bible does. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're a saint. When you think about the parable of the unrighteous man and the Pharisee, and the Pharisee goes to the temple, he raises his hands, and he says, Lord, I thank thee that I am not like this man over here. I pray, I fast X amount, uh, I fast X amount of time, I give X amount of all my money, and blah, blah, blah. He just went through all of his self-righteous stuff, and he said that to God. In that same parable, when it goes to this tax collector, he was so overcome with his sin that the Bible says, Jesus said, he couldn't even look up to heaven to pray. He just bowed his head and he beat his chest and he said, Lord, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said in that parable, surely I tell you, that second man was the one who became justified before God. See, that's the prayer of a sinner. What is written right here, this isn't the prayer for a sinner, it's the prayer for the saint. A prayer for the sinner is like what I just uh, described to you because you see, his cry to God is for pardon for an offense that was committed against God. It's a plea for judicial forgiveness. But in this passage, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 the plea is that of a child of God who has grieved his heavenly father because of something that he or she did, something that he or she said, uh, a motivation that was wrong and needs basically parental forgiveness. That's all that is. Jesus taught us that mercy must beget mercy. Mercy received must be mercy reproduced listen i'm going to tell you one of the hardest verses verses in the bible is when jesus says if you do not forgive neither will your heavenly father forgive you now i am here to tell you that's when the rubber hits the road these are the hard sayings of jesus right there because there are some things humanly speaking you'll hear Boy, the last thing that's going through your mind is forgiveness. But it's what Jesus said to do. And remember, forgiveness does not erase what they did. It releases you. It just releases you. You can move on. 
The situation is going to be what it is. The ball's in their court now. And God will deal with that. But He wants you set free. What do we know about forgiveness? Well, number one, we know that God forgives instantly when we talk to Him. He doesn't have to wait to forgive. He doesn't wait to see, well, you know, Lois, you've been coming to me about four or five times now doing this. I'm going to have to wait and see if you really mean it before I really forgive. doesn't say that. It says he forgives instantly. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he has removed our sins from us, and he throws them in the sea of, uh, of just with, with no bottom, because he wants those things gone. He wants those things out. He doesn't want to think about these things when you go to him for forgiveness. He forgives instantly, too. He forgives completely. He forgives completely. You can go back to God if you have prayed to him, and I can assure you, everyone in this room has done this. You've done something you regret. Man, do you regret. And it just starts eating on you. And you're like, why would that? I was so stupid. What was I doing? What was I thinking? And you're going to pray to him. And you're going to go back to him again and again and again and again. You're going to bring that same thing up. You're going to ask the Lord, forgive me for this. And one day we're going to see when we're in glory. When he forgave you, he forgave you the first time. All those other times you had to go to him to ask for that forgiveness, he's standing up there and he is saying to you, I don't know what you're talking about. See, I've already dealt with that. I've already moved on. Because I told you in my word that I would. So why don't you take me at my word and why don't you move on too? Because his forgiveness is completely. And his forgiveness is repeatedly. You can mess up, and you can be determined, and you're going to turn around and do the same thing again, and you can confess up. And I can guarantee you there's a lot of people in this room that feels condemned because of that one sin in your life that held you down over and over and over again. It doesn't seem to matter what you do. You just keep messing up. And you get so sick of yourself. You're, you're just thinking, there's no way he can have that kind of patience. Yet he does. His forgiveness is unending. Remember, Peter's the one, and you got to love Peter for doing this. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this in the Bible. And we need this. Peter was the one that went up to Jesus and said, now, why am I supposed to forgive this bozo over here? Because he keeps doing the same thing. And Jesus said, well, every time that bozo goes to you and asks for your forgiveness, you better give it to him. And then Peter says, because Peter starts to get real crafty, and he's thinking, okay, uh, let's put a number on this. And he goes, should I forgive him if he comes up uh, five times? Forgive five times. Should I forgive him? How about ten times? Ten times? and Yeah, ten times. And then finally, Jesus, knowing what he's doing, finally Jesus says, you are to forgive him an endless amount of numbers of time. You are to forgive him. He just put it to rest. So let me ask you this question. If, if he is telling us that we are to forgive that many times, even if it's that same sin, 
Don't you think God also obligates himself to doing the same thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we need to remember these three things. It's instantly, it's completely, and it's repeatedly when it comes to forgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice that we make, that we make through a decision of our will motivated by obedience to Christ because he commanded all of us to forgive. Now, there are some excuses people give for not forgiving. Well, he or she doesn't deserve to be forgiven. You're probably right. And at the same time, there's not one person in this room that also deserves to be forgiven. We were the ones who offended God. We were the ones who turned our back on God. We were the ones telling God where he could go because we're going to do our own thing. No one, really, when it comes down to it, deserves forgiveness. But he gives it because of his grace. He gives it because his very character, his, his nature is love. That's why he gives it. Well, he or she has hurt me too much to ever want to forgive. Well, Colossians 3.13 says this. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How about when Jesus was on the cross? Father, one of the seven things he said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And then uh, another excuse people give for not wanting to forgive. Well, if I just keep forgiving, he or she's just going to keep doing it over and over again. Well, we just went over that. Forgiveness. Forgiveness sets you free so you can move on. And then do not lead us into temptation. We see the third part of, the par- of this prayer today, which says... Do not lead us into temptation. We're going to stop on that part right there because we're going to take a look at the Father's pathway. The Father's pathway. Jesus understood temptation. He faced all temptations that we face today. In Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses 15 and 16, says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence uh, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You know why I love that part right there? Remember last week when we talked about, uh, as Jesus told this model prayer, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, okay, when you pray, pray this way. Pray our Father. And right here, as we read in Hebrews, it tells us that we can approach God's throne with confidence. Why? Because you're praying to your Father. You're praying to one that will never let you down, that will never hurt you, that would never uh, make you feel stupid or, or just an imbecile because of the way that you're thinking. You're praying to your heavenly 
Father. So you can feel confident when you approach Him because He's laid out the steps by which we're supposed to take to get to Him. Focusing our attention on God's pathway will allow us to draw strength from Him as well. God does not tempt us. The Bible makes that very clear. But He can permit us to be led into temptation or He can protect us from it. He will only allow temptation that He knows that we can withstand. In 2 Peter 2.9, the Bible tells us, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. I don't know if you heard the one about the guy. He was a businessman, and he was experiencing a craving for donuts. Which, by the way, if you want to know where the greatest donut place is in Burleson, ask me, I'll tell you. He drove to this donut shop, and as he went to this donut shop, he was circling the block. And as he was circling the block, he prayed, Lord, I know the commitment that I made with you. I can't eat these donuts. I know that's not your will. So, Lord, I need you to confirm it. There's no parking spaces at the donut shop. So I'm going to drive around the block. And if there are no parking spaces that become open, I'm going to take that as a confirmation from you. And after going around the donut shop eight more times, a spot became available. And his desire gave birth to a behavior, and the behavior became a sin. That's how we get around this kind of stuff. I want you to see five steps in how to stop temptation. You're going to see these on the screen as we go through them. <clears throat> Number one, steps in resisting temptation. John 8, you need to request God's help. What does it say? You, Jesus told them, he said, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. The first step in overcoming temptation, you need to request God's help. You just, right where you're at, you just stop. If you can verbally pray it, verbally pray. If not, mentally pray it, mentally you pray, but ask God for his help. Number two, you need to refuse to be intimidated. Refuse to be intimidated. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man... And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. You need to refuse, refuse to be intimidated. Number three, you need to refocus your attention. James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, James says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. 
You need to refocus your, your attention. Number four, you need to reveal a personal struggle to a friend. To a friend. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. To lift him up. It's important to keep in mind that when you read this, this verse here in Ecclesiastes, it has a lot to do with accountability too. And that's, that's, that's very important to have that. Someone older, someone that is godly, and someone that you can go to and trust. He goes on and he ends it by saying, Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Reveal this struggle to a friend. And then last... You just need to resist the tempter. You just need to resist the tempter. In James chapter 4, verse 7, James says, Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And he goes on and on and on. But the, the, the focus, though, for that verse is submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll, he'll flee from you. He'll leave you alone. So today, as we take a look at these three areas within the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation. You see three everyday areas within our lives that we can go to God daily on those three things. We're going to need His help. Because we're all needy. We need things. And we need to see things happen. Number two. We deal with a lot of knuckleheads. And there's a lot of times when you're a knucklehead. And we just need to forgive and get past things and move on. And we need to remember more than anything. We do have an adversary. And that devil, the Bible says in Peter, he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's going to do that to you. He's going to destroy your witness. He'll destroy your character. He wants to totally trash your name. He'll kill you if he can. Remember whenever Jesus told Peter, Peter, I want you to know Satan has requested to have you and he's going to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. I wonder how many times Satan has brought your name up about wanting to do something with you. We know he did it with Peter. We have an adversary. And this thing, a temptation, can trip us up so quickly and so easy. We need to remember there is a pathway with God in that area. And that pathway is nothing can overtake you if you are walking with him. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning. And Lord, we want to thank you for uh, uh, what you're doing here today. God, we just want to ask that you would help us to see these, uh, these elements within the Lord's Prayer 
that we would really file these things away in our mind. God, they can really help us and shape us as we're seeking you when things are really important and we just need to get a hold of you because we need an answer. Lord, I just want to ask today that if there are any, uh, if there's anyone here, Lord, and they are looking for answers. God, you're the answer book. And so many times you're going to let us know what those things are. We just got to ask. Lord, I know that there are times that for reasons that only you know, you make us wait. It's not always a no, sometimes it's a wait. Because you're in the process of doing something during that time. And I pray, God, that you would just help us to remember to be patient and to, to think of it that way. God, I pray and ask that for those here today who for reasons that they know are weighted down because of an angry spirit or a critical spirit because they really were the victim of somebody doing something, saying something, whatever. God, I pray that today you would really whisper to their heart, it's okay to let it go, that you'll take care of this. You just want us to move on. And Lord, I pray and ask that this week you will help us all to not be tempted in falling and in failing. But God, that we would run to you, that we would submit to you and uh, see what you can do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.